Today on Season 2, Episode 92 of the Unknown Packers Podcast, football season is upon us once again. The XFL season, that is. Bryce and I take a quick look at the upcoming season of the newly reformed Extreme Football League. Will it succeed? Will it flop? What former Packers will be out there this weekend? We also talk Leroy Butler and his Hall of Fame snub and pay respects to another Packers great, Willie Wood. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. And now it's time for He Hate Me on Tap. Thank you so much for following the Unknown Packers podcast. Touchdown! Dagger! Al Harris, 56 yards to a game-winning touchdown! Green Bay Packers! Winning isn't everything, but it's the only thing. Green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow. Unknown Packers podcast. Green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow. And let me tell you this, Green Bay is a great town. And welcome to the Unknown Packers Podcast, where I'm your co-host, Bryce Christensen. Alongside me, I've got... Nevels. For He Hate Me on tap, the XFL edition of the Unknown Packers Mm -hmm. Podcast. The new eight-team league embarks on their journey, their... I guess what is second it? Second journey. <laughs> second journey. They're back for the first time. That's their slogan. But they're embarking this weekend, this Saturday to be specific, eight-team league. So we're going to dedicate this episode to the XFL for the first half. The second half, we're going to talk about Leroy Butler and the Hall of Fame process. And then we'll talk about the passing of Packers great Willie Wood. But he hate me. We tried to figure out a cleverly coined Name for this podcast, we thought about XFL on tap, and He Hate Me, and the reason being is that whenever I think of the XFL, I think of He Hate Me, also known as Rod Smart. He's essentially the only player that I can think of from that first rodeo of XFL. Yeah, me too. When we talk about the XFL, what comes to mind first off for you as as they start this Saturday? You know what? I I will admit that I really didn't give it a fair shot the first time around. Um, just wasn't into it. it. Seemed kind of gimmicky, and I, I didn't like how tied they were to you know Vince McMahon and the whole the whole wrestling scene. So I think this time I'm going into it with a little bit more of an open mind. I was open minded with the uh, the AAF when that was around last year, and I was one of the few apparently that actually kind of enjoyed the product. So again, I'm looking at this with an open mind, and I, I'm just very curious to see how it's going to work out. I mean, they have some some quirky rules, some quirky scoring things. I'm looking forward to talking about. Should be kind of neat. Yeah, I mean, the Super Bowl is over with. Uh, the next meaningful NFL game is eight months away, and now the XFL is coming in and trying to establish a new league. Like you mentioned, the AAF, the Alliance of American Football, last year for lack of a better term, was a catastrophe. And a lot of it was because of financial issues. The one advantage that the XFL does have is that it's backed by WWE chairman and CEO Vince McMahon, whose personal net worth is estimated by Forbes magazine to be $2.2 billion. In theory, the XFL will have the financial cushion to develop its product over multiple years. So they're talking about this being the second version of a football league. Now, do you think that this can last multiple years? What do they have to do right? Because their their whole slogan is back for the first time. 
And so this is a second go around for the XFL. What do they have to do right? They start this Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Seattle and D.C. square off. We'll list off all the team names. But I'm curious, what do they have to do right? Right off the bat for the NFL has a stranglehold and it shows that the XFL doesn't want to go toe-to-toe with the NFL during the NFL season. So this is a smart approach by Vince McMahon and the XFL to see what the interest is. What do you think they have to do right for this to continue multiple years? Yeah, for this to last, I mean, it, it all comes, it all lives and dies with the fans. They have to put out a product that the fans are going to want to watch week in and week out. Um, I think with the rules that they have that differentiate themselves from the NFL, that's going to hopefully keep the fans' attention. And they just need to put out a, a good product. I mean, I know when, when people were talking about the AAF, they were talking about it being a watered-down product, watered-down product, this and that, former players. You can't really look at it that way. I mean, I know it, it is what it is, but you can't directly compare this to the NFL because obviously we know the players aren't the same stature, the same quality. You just kind of have to take it for what it is, enjoy what they do, and just be happy that you have some football to watch now that the NFL season is over. So again, as long as people tune in and watch, it should be successful. I think so too. And this is the interesting thing that uh, Vince McMahon, he wanted to give uh, another go around uh, to learn from the 2001 blemish of the XFL, their version, but he wanted, this is a direct quote, serious and football-focused gimmick-free league. Vince went ahead and hired one of the country's most respected sports administrators, Oliver Luck, to run it as the league's commissioner. And the teams are all spread out over the country. You've got seven that are in current NFL cities, and the eighth is in St. Louis, which had the Rams from 1995 to 2015 most recently. And all these teams will play in a combination of NFL, NCAA, Major League Soccer, and Major League Baseball facilities. Each team will play 10 games on Saturdays and Sundays beginning February 8th and lasting until April 12th. Four teams will advance to the playoff semifinals April 19th and 20th. And the XFL Championship will be played April 26th, the day after the 2020 NFL Draft concludes. Oh, nice. So that, I mean, you can tell that they will from, I mean, they're going to learn from their mistakes from 2001 and now they're coinciding it with the NFL draft. So you've got the NFL draft. Everyone's getting excited about that. And then the day after you've got the the XFL championship. So I'm eager. I know when you and I talked about, well, what are we going to do for this episode for our weekly episodes? You, you brought up the idea of let's talk about the XFL. And to be honest, I, I didn't give it any chance. Once I heard XFL, I thought, oh my God, you know, we we went through this before. I'm not interested. I'm an NFL guy, but this whole week of research has gotten me excited. And Definitely. You've, got, you've got, here are the XFL teams. You've got the Dallas Renegades that are going to play at uh, the former home Globe Life Park, which is the former home of the Texas Rangers. You've got the DC Defenders, which is at Audi Field, which is the Major League Soccer. Houston Roughnecks, which is TDECU Stadium, NCAA. Los Angeles Wildcats, which is their Major League Soccer, Dignity Health Sports Park. New York Guardians, MetLife Stadium for the NFL. St. Louis Battlehawks, the Dome at America Center, which is the NFL Stadium. Seattle Dragons, CenturyLink Field, the NFL. And then the Tampa Bay Vipers, Raymond James Stadium, NFL. And so those are the eight teams. 
And NFL executives have hoped to cap a trip to the game for a family of four at 100 bucks. So ticket prices seem to be, they're trying to be a little bit more sensitive. They're trying to be yeah. budget-friendly. And when gimmick-free comes to mind, what do you think of? What do I think of? Gimmick-free? I mean, I just want to see... Just straight up football. The AAF was was gimmick free. They, I did get a chance to go to a game in person down in Memphis, and it was also very family friendly. I mean, we were sitting in the end zone, but we were front row, and I think all four of our tickets totaled about eighty bucks. So it was perfect. Looking over the rules of the of the XFL, I do think there are a couple that are a little bit gimmicky, but could make things interesting. But nothing is overwhelmingly uh, what you call it. I can't gimmicky. Gimmicky. Yes, gimmicky. <laughs> um, I, I kind of, I kind of. The first time around in two thousand and one, when they were talking about it, it almost seemed to me like it was geared to be more of like a live action NFL blitz video game. Yeah, very, very yeah. rough, very violent, very you know we're, we're going to do what the NFL doesn't want to, very raw. And I think this time around, they put a little bit more thought to it. It's a little bit more pure football, uh, but they do have some tricks up their sleeve, which should definitely be interesting to see. Um, have you have you had a chance to kind of look over any of the the new, new rules and how they differentiate from the NFL? And that that's what caught my attention when you when you talk about gimmick free. The minute I heard that, I thought, okay, the XFL it it, it is gimmicky. The XFL it is, it is, is gimmicky. And so with with Oliver Luck, they had focus groups that revealed fans' preference to the NFL game structure, but it wanted more of a faster pace with more excitement, less downtime, less interruptions. Fans also made it clear that they didn't want to be complicit in watching a game with new rules that would further endanger player safety. So we can go into all the different um, nuances of the XFL, but the little rule changes intrigued me. The one thing that I really like of what I guess Commissioner Luck said is that the, the XFL dismissed more radical changes like making all 11 offensive players eligible to catch a pass. Luck said that that's not football and people would know. So they're still trying to keep the integrity sure, of the sure. sport, but they're also they're tailoring it to what fans want. So a more faster-paced game. Uh, the thing that really caught my eye was, one, the overtime structure, and two, right. the, what is it, the one-point, two-point, and three-point conversions? Yes. And it's funny, yeah, the one, two, and three-point conversions, That as soon as I saw that, that kind of reminded me of the old, I don't know if you if you recall, but the old rock and jock basketball games when they had like the the five-point yeah. circle out in the court, ah. the ten-point circle. It, yep. that That is, I think, uh, the most gimmicky part of the league. The kickoff rules, you're not being able to release from the line until a certain point. Yep. Punts not being able to release until the, the punt goes. That's fine. I think that's... You know that that I don't see any problem with that, um, but yeah, the one point, two point, and three point—that's kind of weird for me. How it works is after you score a touchdown, there's no no more kicking extra points allowed. You have to go for it. You get one point by running a, a play from the two yard line and successfully scoring. Two point is you run a play from the five yard line, and then a three point you run a play from the ten yard line. What's also interesting is if you fumble or throw an interception, the other team recovers it. They can return it to get that, you know, whatever amount of points that you are trying for. So right. it's interesting. I, I do think that's a little bit gimmicky, and we'll see how it, how it goes. It can make, you know, a lot of games closer in the end. They're talking about, you know, if you're down by by 18 points, it's still only a two-possession game. So right. that could make, you know, bottom line, make things a little bit more interesting. And granted, they're not going to remove all the gimmicks, and that could be a big, I guess, blemish or a con for, for the XFL the one thing where 
so they've essentially there's no there's no point after tries there's no field goals so the only kickoffs or the only kicking occurs during kickoffs and then punts so they are right. trying to what was it in 2001 weren't kickoffs where it one player from each team lined up on a on the opposing or on the opposite side of the field and they all ran to the 50 yard line to grab the football and that determined who got possession i thought that, that was it could be. I don't. I don't recall. Like I said back then, I didn't pay too much attention to it. But it, it was sounds... one game that I watched. That oh, was wow. it. One right, game, right. and I was intrigued. And I, I want to say that that's how they had opening kickoff. So it does sure. seem that they want to. I, 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 it looks <sighs> like they want to compete with the NFL. Sure, they've got so. The, uh, the vice president of football operations, Doug Whaley, he interviewed for the Green Bay Packers when they hired Brian Gutekunst at general manager or for the general manager position. So they've got a lot. And he was the former general manager of the Buffalo Bills. Correct me if I'm wrong, Doug Whaley. So they're bringing in guys that have NFL experience that want to make another product during the offseason. So I'm all for that. Uh, with overtime, they're they're only it's almost like soccer. They want to do yeah, or soccer, like NHL. hockey. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you don't like it then. I'm I'm not a fan. I I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I like to see it in person. I don't know. I can't really picture how it's gonna work, but it, it that yeah, that seems really odd. I mean, alternating tries and you wanna explain that a little bit deeper? Yeah, so right here, it'll be different for the NFL. If teams are tied at the end of regulation. There will be an overtime period that the XFL estimates will take no longer than seven minutes. Each team will get five one-play possessions to score from the five-yard line. So you get five attempts just like soccer, and I'm not an NHL fan, so do you get five tries in NHL as well? Yeah, it's. I'm not sure how many you get, but yeah, they're they're basically like penalty shots. Right. Um, it's a, you know the shootout. So yeah, you alternate. One guy shoots, so on and so forth. I'm not sure how uh, five sounds about right. I don't know. Okay. And they'll continue playing until someone is mathematically eliminated. Here, here they go into the XFL has instituted three post-touchdown options that would give teams more opportunities to win in regulation. So they're, they're saying that overtime might be rare, given sure, on the sure. one point, two point, three point tries after, after a score. So in overtime, you essentially you get five one-play possessions from the five-yard line. So it's your success rate. You get five out of five, and the other team gets four to five, you win. So the interesting thing will be what happens when each team scores all five uh, one-play possessions from the five-yard line. So as I'm looking through the notes, they're saying that teams will have the option to go for one point from the two-yard line, two points from the five-yard line, or three points from the 10-yard line. And I'm not seeing anything on what happens if, they tie. So if all five scoring opportunities in overtime are successful for, say, for example, Seattle, as well as D.C., it looks like they'll continue to go until so it'll be like a, a playoff shoot st- or a, not a playoff, but a, a very similar to like the World Cup, very similar to soccer. So that's set up, which I think will be intriguing, but it does mm-hmm. seem like it'll make it unlikely that uh, an overtime would occur based on all those different point scenarios. Right. So, I mean, are we just assuming then after the five rounds, is that when they finally declare it a tie? That's what I'm assuming. Right. That's, yeah, that's what I'm assuming as well. And Because that's, 
And it's just like each one is is you know it doesn't doesn't look like they can go for the score and then you know a one two or three point extra point. I think it's just you know you get one point for scoring. Next team goes, they get one point for scoring, so on and so forth. So it it it's definitely interesting. I just it's just hard for me to envision. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> and that's the exciting thing. We'll see what happens this weekend and to see how it carries over. It seems like they've they've dotted their eyes and crossed their T's. Where it says, how do how does overtime work? It says, each team will get five one-play possessions to score from the five-yard line and will continue playing until someone is mathematically eliminated. So almost like college football where one team scores, the other team scores, and then once the other team right. doesn't score, then... So I think that there is definitely room for error in this overtime, and I think it is ambitious to say that no overtime will take longer than seven minutes. So I do think that they'll have to tailor it and tweak it a little bit. For sure. But anything can happen. But I envision something where both teams continue to score. What happens then? But right, right. I'm a soccer fan, so I like this style. What would happen if they would implement this in the NFL? I don't know. I, I don't think I, I don't like I don't like this particular overtime. I think yeah, you know, I just think again it's too gimmicky. I do have my theories on what they could do for overtime, and that's for another another show. But I don't think I'd care for it much if they implemented this. I'd rather them stick with what they have now than than this method, honestly. But like I said, new league could be fun. We'll we'll have to see. Maybe the NFL will learn a little something and and try to <laughs> adapt it partially. Do you have you picked a, a team you're going to follow yet? I have have you? Yeah. Um, Who are you going with? I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Vipers. The reason being is that Tampa Bay used to be in the NFC Central. It's got Bay in it, so Green Bay. Oh, um, there you go. The green and gold colors are reminiscent of the Packers. And yeah, so paying homage to the Battle of the Bay, quote-unquote rivalry with Tampa Bay, Green Bay. So I'm going with Tampa Bay Vipers. How about you? I, you know, I am completely undecided. <laughs> uh, I was, yeah, I was kind of leaning towards... I was leaning towards St. Louis just because for hockey, I uh, you know I I grew up a Blues fan, kind of lost the whole hockey thing. I haven't watched it in a while, so really don't care that much. And I was also thinking about the what the DC Defenders, just because I have you know I have family out in DC and travel out there, so I'll probably pick up a couple games here and there if I ever went out went out to visit. But I haven't put a much I haven't put a ton of thought into it. Uh, I, I was looking at that document you sent me. There are, I think, every team has a former former Packer right. on it. Um, some more than others. I think most. I think the New York Guardians have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven former Packers on it. So they're they're definitely heavily former Packer. Did it? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, awesome. But uh, it, it's just kind of funny going through and looking at all these different names that are out there. Half of them I kind of recognize. There are some that I definitely recognize. For example, Justin Vogel is out yep. there. He is on the Guardians. Uh, Marquise Williams is on the Guardians. D'Angelo, D'Angelo Yancey, he's out on the Guardians. Yep. Carl Bradford out on the Roughnecks. But then there's a bunch of guys that spent you know a couple of days here and there on, on various practice squads. So... I was hoping to pick a team that was very heavily Packer-based, but I'm definitely not rooting for any team out of New York, I'll tell you that much. And that's where I, you know, with St. Louis, you know, me being a Brewers fan, I just can't root for any anyone in St. Louis because I, I of the Cardinals. You. I hear you. But I did want to add this. Jacob Shum, Jake Shum, former Green Bay Packer punter great Jake Shum 
is the punter for the Tampa Bay Vipers. So I think it is solidified that I am uh, going to root for the Tampa Bay Vipers. I think the one intriguing aspect that I have with the XFL is that hopefully it gives an opportunity for players to live out their dreams and get that contract in the NFL. Maybe someone breaks out in the XFL and that opens up the door for them to continue their dreams and playing in the NFL. As we wrap up the first half of He Hate Me on tap, I did want to mention real quick that what I did notice is that there will be an eighth official on the uh, the field whose job is to spot the ball. Uh, Once the ball is spotted, a 25-second play clock will begin. They said that there will be an average of 32 seconds between plays. Coaches get two timeouts per half rather than three, and then the halftime has been cut to 10 minutes. There will be no coin tosses, so the home team will choose whether to kick off or defer at the start of the game, and the visitors will have the choice in overtime. So they're really trying to speed up I like that. that. So that is another thing that I wanted to mention as we wrap up the first half of He Hate Me on Tap. We're going to be back with the second half talking about Leroy Butler in the Hall of Fame and then uh, the passing of Packers great Willie Wood. Go Pack Go. You are listening to the Unknown Packers podcast. Do you want to be a part of the show? If so, give our listener line a call. Leave your name, a comment, concern, or question, and we will include your message on an upcoming episode. Call 920-328-5269. Again, that's 920-328-5269. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget to show us some love and rate us on your favorite podcast provider. Now, let's get to the second half. to the second half of He Hate Me on Tap, where we talk about the XFL, which we just did in the first half, and now we're going to talk about Leroy Butler and the Hall of Fame. Leroy Butler finally became a Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist for the first time this year for 2020. Unfortunately, did not get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Being a finalist is huge, though, because 85% of finalists do end up going on to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Talking about uh, Leroy Butler, I know we're all familiar with him, but the creator of the Lambeau Leap, he finished his decorated NFL career with 38 interceptions, 20 and a half sacks, 13 forced fumbles over 12 seasons, all spent with the Green Bay Packers. He played in two Super Bowls, winning Super Bowl 31 after the 1996 season. AP named him a first-team All-Pro in 1993, 1996, 1997, and 1998. Fortunately, other safeties like Troy Palomalu of the Steelers and Steve Atwater of the Denver Broncos got in before Leroy Butler. I'll save my thoughts on uh, why or why he didn't get in, but I'm curious, Nebels, what's your thought process of Leroy Butler in the Hall of Fame? I honestly do not understand why he is not in yet. I kind of went through and looked at the safeties that were in the Hall of Fame that played around the same time that he did. Before, I was kind of thinking, you know, I was kind of telling myself, well, this guy doesn't deserve to be in before Leroy, this guy, that guy. And looking at the stats, I definitely do think that some of them were a good call. But I don't understand the Steve Atwater or the Troy Palomalu pick. And and here's why. Uh, you just mentioned Leroy's stats. 
You know, he had his 889 tackles, 20 half sacks, 13 forced fumbles, 38 picks, one Super Bowl win, four times Pro Bowl, and then four-time All-Pro, and then he was named to the All-Decade team of the 90s. And I also wanted to kind of note, I'm one that could care less about the Pro Bowl. He did make a Pro Bowl before it went to the fan right. voting, so I think that that's got to count for something. If you look at Steve Atwater's numbers, he has more tackles. He had a 1,188 tackles. He only had five sacks, six forced fumbles, 24 picks. He did win two Super Bowls. He was elected to eight Pro Bowls, and he was also, and he was only two-time All-Pro. Troy Polamalu had 783 tackles, so less tackles, 12 sacks. He had less sacks, 14 forced fumbles, so he had one more forced fumble than, than Leroy. 32 picks, so five less. He did have three Super Bowl victories, so two more than Leroy. Eight-time Pro Bowl. All of those, I might add, were during the fan fan voting period. Granted, it only counts for a third of the votes, but still, I think the coaches and players having more weight means a little bit more. And he was also a four-time All-Pro. So I just don't get why those two are were in before Leroy. I do think they were definitely worthy and should be in the Hall of Fame. I just think for what they did and what he did on the field. I mean, Leroy to me was kind of the, he laid the, the blueprints of what modern day safeties are now. He was kind of the first safety of that kind. He, he, he led the way. So why he didn't get in before those guys is, is a surprise to me. You can look at the other, other people who are in the Hall of Fame that got elected, Brian Dawkins, he ended his career later, but he had an awesome career. Uh, Ronnie Lott, I included him. He didn't play his entire career as a safety, but he did spend nine years at the position. Another one I looked at was Rod Woodson. He also was a, uh, he was also only a safety for the last five years of his career, but he put up monster numbers as well. I mean, Rod Woodson, 71 career interceptions. That's insane. 11, 11 Pro Bowls, six All-Pros. Going back to Dawkins, I mean, he was the first player in NFL history to record at least 30 interceptions and 30 forced fumbles in a career. He is the he, he forced 36 fumbles, which is the most ever by a safety in the NFL, and he is the only player in NFL history with 25-plus interceptions, forced fumbles, and sacks. So, like I said, all those guys are very deserving, but I just don't see why Leroy was snubbed and Atwater and Palomalu were able to get in uh, before him. Do you have any thoughts on I, that? I hate to be it like where is it because, you know, if if did because Atwater won two Super Bowls back to back and also the fact that he was so feared, like he put the fear of God in players where they didn't go up the middle because of him. So it wasn't more of a stats thing. Right. The thing that really boggles my mind is that um, he's the only offensive, or Leroy Butler is the only offensive or defensive player from the NFL All-1990s team uh, not to be a, f- a finalist until this year. Right. So there's de- we're, we're, they're definitely sleeping on the Green Bay Packers. Right. I don't know. When you look at what, s- there's only seven defensive backs to have uh, 20 interceptions and 20 sacks. Butler ranks third in that group in interceptions. He had at least two interceptions in eight consecutive seasons, and um, including six in 95 and five in 1996. I, I think you also, you got to give it to Leroy Butler on uh, the impact that he had for those Packers defenses in the mid-90s. I mean, without Leroy Butler, granted, you had Brett Favre and you had Reggie White. You had all the pieces, Ron Wolf, Mike Holmgren, but 
I just feel that if you're just going to, you know, shoe in Brett Favre and and Reggie White and then not Leroy Butler, I think he's part of that trifecta. And I spent this whole week trying to set aside my bias. And I'm with you. I don't, I can accept the fact that Atwater got in based on the fact that I remember watching him in the 90s. I remember the fear, the tenacity that he played with. So a lot of his play didn't translate to that stat sheet, whereas Leroy Butler did. But the whole Troy Palomalu thing, that's the thing that I just... Um, right, right. Yeah, right. he I, he's eccentric. There are things that people gravitated towards Palomalu because of the hair, the way he played. But to have him inducted on top of Edger and James inducted and not Leroy Butler. I, I just think it's a travesty. I get that he's a finalist now and that it'll get closer to him being inducted, but I think it's a slap in the face and I'm trying to figure out why I don't, I can accept Atwater. I cannot accept right. Palomalu. I think he is a hall of famer, just not now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think the other thing that kind of bugs me about Atwater, you know, the more I've been, you know, I kind of put the question out there online and getting different people's responses. And like you mentioned, he was feared and he had more highlight, you know, highlight hits and big tackles and was knocking guys out. And that as much as that stuff is, is, is great to see whatever it kind of almost disgusts me that the hall of fame voters are celebrating the very thing that has caused the NFL so much so much grief over the years, you know, it's, it's causing them to want to want to try to change things so much based on player yeah. safety. So for them to be celebrating a guy, you know, for essentially knocking guys out and, and hitting those, you know, getting those knockout hits and in those highlight reels, I just that's another thing I just don't quite understand. Now, again, that's just what people are saying. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but it would be very hard for me to to swallow that that would be a case for him, you know, getting in over Leroy. And on top of it, I just like how Leroy Butler has approached the whole thing. I mean, I know, I know they had Mike Clements mm-hmm. and Gary Ellerson interviewing uh, Leroy Butler, uh, waiting for that knock on the door, waiting for that phone call. And Leroy Butler said that he's just excited to be here. He hopes that he'll get that call. It's only a matter of time before he gets in. But I really like how he ended the interview by saying that if it happens or if it doesn't happen, I'm still going to be Leroy Butler. And I think For sure. the way he approaches life, I think you got to give it. To, I mean, when he said that, it broke my heart that he didn't get in because as a Packers fan, he deserves to be in. I think that it's only a matter of time before he does get in, but it took him so long to become a finalist. And then Troy Palamano in his first year of eligibility becomes a finalist and gets inducted in. So I, the John Lynch and the Steve Atwater, I know if you, I guess you're looking at pro bowls, I guess you're looking at all pro statistics. And if that's the case, right. then, then, then you give it to, to Lynch and Atwater. But for what Leroy Butler did to that safety position, he was a guy that ranged all over the field. So he wasn't just a yep. guy that was known for hard hits that was known for interceptions. He was all over. He blitzed. And on top of it, I mean, I, I guess maybe this is my bias. How do you not give the nod to Leroy Butler for creating the Lambo leap? I mean, it is part right, of right. <laughs> it is part of Green Bay Packers history. Other teams have done it. So if you're paying homage to all these different players and what they've done for the game, Leroy Butler has impacted the game way more than any of them. Right. So I think and, uh, I think we'll we'll eventually get we'll eventually get him in. But I, I, my concern is that it's going to be another few years before they really buy in. 
Yeah, and he was just one of those players that, like I said, influenced the game. When I was looking into his his career and his stats, the one thing that stood out to me is when they were in the Super Bowl against Denver, when we had a great, great defensive unit. You know, we had Reggie and whatnot, but the one guy that Denver said they had to stop was Leroy Butler. Mm-hmm. They had they their literally their entire offensive game plan was based around having to stop Leroy. So that to me, I mean, say what you will about these other guys, he was a feared player back then. And so I I just don't I just don't get it. It it boggles me. It well, boggles it, me a lot. It, it makes me think that you have to break a ton of records. Like say if Favre doesn't win a Super Bowl, does he not get in? You know what I mean? Like yeah, he broke a bunch of records. So right. he's going to get in. He won a Super Bowl, so he's going to get in. I, I don't know. The whole, the whole Super Bowl argument drives me nuts, too, because, again, the Super Bowl isn't a Leroy Butler award. It's a team award. You know, he didn't win the Super Bowl on his own. And that's why, like I said, these guys that have three Super Bowl victories, well, that's great. They had great teams around them. Yep. So why does that, you know, why does that give them an advantage? Because they had a better team that was able to go in and win a Super Bowl. Why does that make them more deserving of being elected to the Hall of Fame as an individual? And I think you, I, you, said, know, I think you said it best where teams game plan for Leroy Butler. Like, you can neutralize... I mean, you can try your best to neutralize Reggie White, but the fact of the matter is, is when they had to game plan for Leroy Butler because he wasn't just coming from the line like like Reggie was coming from. He was all over the place. and I, Everywhere. I, I think I would like to continue this discussion. Let's. I'd like to continue to break down the legacy of Leroy Butler and how special sure. he is. And maybe the Unknown Packers podcast could do like hashtag get him in hashtag Leroy Butler 2021 something of that nature I know he's got a bunch of people backing him up he's on the radio here in Milwaukee with 105.7 FM the fan uh, on top of being an extraordinary player a game changer he is a wonderful person family man I just love how he approaches life his humility the thing that the Palomalu thing is what really bothers me. How does Palomalu get in sure, sure. and not bother? Yeah. So that 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 is my take, and I, I don't have an answer for that. No, wait, real nice. I came here for answers, Bryce. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I got is I, I, I think there's some bias. I think that people are – they. It, it's almost like people have forgotten back in like the 50s and 60s. It's all about this immediate gratification. What I remember, Palomalu is, uh, Palomalu is a very striking presence – and so it's like, oh, yeah, first time, you know, ballot, he's getting in. He's not there without Leroy Butler. Leroy Butler made Definitely. safeties cool again. John Lynch isn't there without Leroy Butler. So I, I, I get the Atwater thing, but the whole Lynch and the whole uh, Palomalo thing irks me. I want to continue talking about this as we move Definitely. forward. Talk about another safety here. I know. And as we wrap up, uh, he hate me on tap. We, we talked about He Hate Me is the one player that comes to mind with the XFL. Also, He Hate Me is that the Pro Football Hall of Fame hates Leroy Butler. But we want to change it a little bit and pay homage, pay respect to Willie Wood, who is a Pro Football Hall of Famer, hero of Super Bowl One, and starting safety on all five of Vince Lombardi's championship teams in the 1960s. Unfortunately, passed away Monday, February 3rd at an assisted living facility in Washington, D.C. Wood, who was 83, had been confined to an assisted living facility for rough 13 years and suffered from advanced stage dementia for close to a decade or more. Uh, Willie Wood played for the Packers from 1960 to 1971 and ranked second in team history with 48 career interceptions. Only Bobby Dillon 
recently selected in the Pro Football Hall of Fame as part of its centennial class, had more with 52. Uh, Willie Wood is best known for his Super Bowl in, or for his interception in Super Bowl One. That occurred on the fourth play of the second half, and it was 14-10 at that time. Willie Wood intercepts the football. The Packers punch it in with Elijah Pitts, and the Packers go up 21-10 and eventually win 35-10. So the big thing is if Kansas City doesn't turn the ball over immediately in the second half based off of Willie Wood's interception, it could have been a lot closer of a football game in Super Bowl One. But Super Bowl One, Willie Wood interception, when you think of uh, Willie Wood, I know a lot of people might not realize, but he might be the best undrafted football player of all time. Uh, Vince Lombardi also said pound for pound. Willie was the best tackler in the game. And I think it's interesting that uh, Willie Wood became a starter in his second season with the Packers. Over the next eight years, they finished in the top four in the league in fewest yards allowed. Six other members of that defense also have been inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But some thought Wood was the glue to the unit and might be the best player. Uh, the interesting thing is that he only stood five foot ten inches tall and carried 190 wow. pounds, but he had incredible leaping ability. It's been known that he could jump up and hit the crossbar with his elbow, only being five ten. I wanted to share this tidbit of information that I thought was interesting: is that Wood played college football at Southern Cal during the one platoon era, doubling as a defensive back and quarterback. However, he was bothered by shoulder injuries and didn't fit the prototypical vision of an NFL quarterback at that time. Thus, he was bypassed by the NFL and the AFL drafts. Athletic instructor at the Metropolitan Police Boys Club in Washington, D.C., Bill Butler, wrote a letter to Vince Lombardi on behalf of Willie Wood. Less than three weeks later, Jack Benisi, the Packers' business manager, wrote Butler and informed him Wood had been offered a contract. He was given an early look as quarterback and showed Vince Lombardi that he was actually more fit for that defense. So he retired as a player in 1972, and he became the defensive backfield coach of the San Diego Chargers. He later served as the head coach for the Philadelphia Bell of the World Football League in 1975, wow. and then the Toronto Argonauts of the Canadian Football League from 1880 to 1881. Uh, when he was named the head coach of Philadelphia Bell. He was credited with being the first African-American head coach in the modern era of pro football. I think it's pretty interesting and sad at the same time to pay homage uh, of the passing of Willie Wood. Um, I didn't realize that he was confined to an assisted living facility, had dementia, uh, makes you wonder also yeah, in, in yeah. that era of football if a lot of that contributed to that. So, you know, CTE comes to mind. But I, I wanted to dedicate a little bit of this episode to Willie Wood, Pro Football Hall of Famer, also Packers Hall of Famer. We don't talk about him enough, and I, I forget how right. essential he was to all five of Vince Lombardi's uh, championships. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything to add. Just kind of looking, it's it's amazing to look over his career highlights and awards and see what he was able to accomplish. I mean, he was an eight-time Pro Bowler. I didn't even realize they had Pro Bowls yeah. way, way back then. Um, five, he was a, a five-time first-team All-Pro, a four-time second-team All-Pro. He was the NFL interceptions leader in 1962. He was a five-time NFL champion, a two-time Super Bowl champion, and was named to the NFL 1960s All-Decade team. So, again, he's just one of those guys that, I, honestly, I... 
I haven't paid much much mind to players of that you know of that era, and I definitely should because I think what they were able to do back then is incredible. And all those folks say, oh, you know, pre Super Bowl stuff doesn't count. Well, I mean, these guys were were doing awesome stuff back then, and and definitely worthy of of, of everybody's respect. So. It's definitely sad to hear about his passing. I mean, 83 years is still, you know, still a good run. And, you know, I can imagine, you know, uh, what better way to spend your, you know, your youth than with the glory days of the Green Bay Packers. And I said it best myself or better myself. Uh, also wanted to add that Willie Wood also holds the Packers career record for most yards gained on punt returns with 1,391. Even more impressive, he never missed a game in 12 seasons playing NFL uh, rest, crazy. In, rest in power, Willie Wood. Based off of what we're just talking about, you know, I got chills a little bit. I, I I think it'd be fun for the Unknown Packers podcast to go back in time. Maybe we could break down a game, break down some players during the offseason, talk about those glory days, do a more Packers historical perspective. Something you're interested in? Uh, I'm in. I'm in. And with that, are there any lasting final words as we wrap up? He hate me on tap, the XFL edition of the Unknown Packers podcast. I'm just looking forward to seeing these XFL games over the weekend, and hopefully next week we'll uh, maybe recap one for you guys. Awesome. We're going to hold off all other talk of speculation of who's going to come to the Packers, do we trade, all this other stuff. I hope you enjoyed He Hate Me on Tap, where we talked about the XFL, we talked about Leroy Butler and the Hall of Fame, and we also talked about the great Willie Wood, Rest in Power, Rest in peace, Willie Wood. Thank you so much for tuning in to He Hate Me on Tap. Looking forward to reconvening next week from with my brother from another mother, Nebels. With that said, I am your co-host, Bryce Christensen. And I'm Nebels. And this is the Unknown Packers Podcast. Thank you so much for following the Unknown Packers Podcast. Make sure that you're tuning in to TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Google Play, Stitcher, and a variety of other podcast platforms. Don't forget to say, hey, Alexa, play the Unknown Packers podcast. That's right. We're good friends with Alexa. Make sure you're checking out our website, theunknownpackers.com, as well as Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and Reddit, the Unknown Packers podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I'm Bryce Christensen, and this is the Unknown Packers podcast.